0: You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin.
1: These days, Taiwan is known to be the most free and democratic country in Asia, but it wasn't always that way. It's hard to imagine that Taiwan has had a very dark period of history during which there was massive censorship. At one time, Taiwan had the longest period of martial law In the world at 38 years. During the martial law period from 1949 to 1987 and the white terror era that extended beyond the lifting of Taiwan's martial law, there was no freedom of speech, expression, or thought. And advocating for the independence of Taiwan was a crime punishable by death. This episode examines how Taiwan's transformation from an authoritarian state to a democracy has impacted Taiwan's media environment. I spoke with Wei Ping Li about the laws and mechanisms of censorship from Taiwan's martial law era and the impact it had on Taiwan's media environment and how Taiwan's media environment has changed since then. Wei Ping Li is a research fellow at Taiwan Fact Check Center. Dr. Li received her PhD degree at the Philip Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland. Before pursuing an academic career, she offered counseling services on digital human rights in Asia. She also worked as a journalist for media outlets in Taiwan for several years. She earned her LLM, Master's of Law, degree from the University of Pennsylvania Law School and has been admitted to the practice of law in New York State. Wei Ping Li is speaking in a personal capacity As a media scholar who studied Taiwanese media and the views expressed in this interview were all her own personal opinions. Welcome to the podcast, Weeping. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Felicia. I thought that we could talk a little bit about your background in media because I understand that you used to work as a journalist in Taiwan and I thought it would be interesting to hear what your background was and about some of your experience. So I think it gives a context because you're somebody that really walks the talk that can speak from experience, not just an academic, right? Studying this area. It was a long time ago. I got my first job as journalist
0: in 2001. So it was really like 20 years ago. My first job was with economic daily news, which is Uh, subsidiary of United Daily News. It was a golden age, golden era of Taiwan's media, news media, because at that time we are relatively free comparing with uh, the previous era. And actually during my career as a journalist, I didn't have any pressure from the government i could write anything i want but there are you know censorship are from different directions right it was not only from the government it could be from even your interviewees and or the people who you covered who are the, the companies on your beat So I have faced with some threatenings from some firms because I I covered news of tax, of corporate governance, uh, legal news, and also uh, financial institutions like international banks in Taiwan. For example, I covered um, merge and acquisition cases, and sometimes that would be sensitive. So I have been uh, threatened by my uh, interviewees that I'm going to sue you if you're going to exposed something things like that yeah but i think it's an honor you know to be <laughs> threatened because which means that your mm. news was important right so yeah so that that's that, the kind of pressure that i had faced at that time but it was a time that you don't have to worry about how many clicks you got what social media yeah the Things that which makes you feel nervous is about it. how you can mm-hmm. get on mm-hmm. the front page. How can you push your news on the front page? And can you get any scoops? So uh, it's a time when you can really learn a lot and uh, you can really dig into news.
1: That was the time that there was the first DPP president. In history, right? So that's also a very interesting yeah. time, Chen Sui Right. That was his first term, right? There were so many exciting things
0: going on and it, you have a lot of freedom to uh, cover things and to investigate the things that you want. I left journalism work in 2006 when I attended a law school in United States. And ever since then, I was in the United States and watching the decline (laughs) of the Taiwanese media because social media has become prevalent since then. And journalists have to care more about if they can attract more eyeballs on their news. And the newspapers seem not so care about scoops. What I care about if there are a lot of clicks on your news, if they can make enough money from advertisements or things like that. And the working conditions of news, of, the, of a journalist are, are deteriorating because they don't get a
1: lot of pay as oh, I had before. I heard you speak during the seminar at GTI, the Global Taiwan Institute, about American skepticism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that your area is uh, the media environment in Taiwan. And I started thinking about how people regard Taiwan as one of the most free democratic countries in Asia. We have a very open free press and freedom of expression, all those things. But a lot of people may forget or not, you know, realize that Taiwan was under a really extreme censorship at one time, and it had the second longest period of martial law in world history. So I thought it would be good to kind of reflect on that era when there was a high level of censorship and then to talk about how things changed gradually after the martial law was lifted and transitioned. So could you tell me first um, what kind of censorship mechanisms were in place during Taiwan's martial law era? Yeah, um, as you know,
0: uh, the, Taiwan's martial law era was from 1949 to 1987. That's like 38 years. And uh, actually, people at that time were under two tracks of restriction. The first is martial law, as we just uh, talked about. And another one is actually, um, which is period of mobilization for the suppression of communist rebellion. is such a long
1: term. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah. And, um, so people, and people are actually governed by a lot of laws at that time. So I can give you some examples of the mechanisms and the, the laws. And for example, publishing laws, Fa and uh, the administrative rules of the Chu Banfa, or informants rules. And also, um, like, criminal code, the Article 100 of the Criminal Code, uh, which is uh, very terrible if you have, like, uh, um, advocate for um, the change of the organization of the, 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 the government, or you want to um, advocate for Taiwan independence, and you will be punished, sometimes you will be punished as capital punishment. And, and there are also a law called the Betrayers Punishment Act. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, there are so many laws there. And one of the most famous ban media is Bao Jing. The ban on newspapers, which have three features, like the limitation on the numbers of newspaper sheets, the limitations on where you can print the newspaper, or, and it, it requires you to register for your newspaper. And there are also bans on songs, films, books, and there are a lot of ridiculous examples. One of the example about the books, we, we can talk about books right now. Sure. You know Mark Twain is the mm-hmm. author yes. of Yeah, <laughs> you know, The Adventure of Tom Sawyer, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the name, the Chinese translation of Mark Twain is Mark twain and this book was banned. Why? It's not because of the content. It was because. Mark Twain was translated, and the name was translated as Mark Twain. And Mark sounds like a Marxist. So, so you know, the censors just banned this book. And also, you know, the wuxia novels are really popular in Taiwan, right? But it, it was also banned during martial law area because uh, the author like Jing Yong, um, Jing Yong is the author of a lot of very important and interesting um, novel. And this was banned because Jin Yong published his articles in the um, leftist, left-wing newspapers in Hong Kong. So Guo thought that this pa- this, this, this okay. author is like an advocate for uh, communism, so his novel should be banned. Yeah, so
1: uh, there are a lot of examples there. Thanks for sharing that. Also, I was wondering in terms of the mechanisms, do you know what kind of bureaus or departments were in place? And, you know, even civil servants that were employed to enforce this kind of censorship. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, because you, there are so many
0: laws that are related to the censorship, right? So, um, there must be a lot of uh, bureaus would need to enforce these regulations. So the most famous one is Jingzhong. Um, Jin whose, um, English translation. Taiwan Garrison Command. Yes. Taiwan Jinbei Siling, Taiwan Jinbei Zhongbu. Yeah. Um, and also Information Bureau, also Ministry of Education, who was responsible for censoring comic books.
1: And, mm-hmm.
0: um, the Information Bureau was responsible for censoring songs, films. And also Ministry of Interior or even Councils for Overseas com- Communities, Chao Weihui, because some of the newspapers were issued overseas. So Kuomintang at that time thought that, oh, we have to control those newspapers to the overseas. And so they kind of expanded their censorship outside of Taiwan and um, so and even correspondence, right? Correspondents were also surveilled and censored. The private court letters were opened. Exactly. So what they did is that they have people stationed in airports or, or, you know, seaports, and they would just sample some mails, and they would just open it. And they were actually quite frank about what I did because after they opened it, they would post it or just print something telling the, the receivers that your that mail has been opened. It had been censored. <laughs> 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 yeah. And then those kind of, they then posted it on the stamp. And so those stamps are quite popular right now because
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's a> collectors' <laughs> items, <Okay. right>? collectors' <laughs> items, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So actually, during the 1950s, the Kuomintang government are trying to build up a very comprehensive mechanisms for censorship and extended the censorship into every um, corners of the people's daily life. Are trying to Control what you can think, and control what you can, you know, what you can listen to. Um, yeah, control what
1: you can write. So it's pretty, uh, pretty tight at that time. And so then, after martial law was lifted, what happened to this quite extensive mechanisms, bureaus, and departments that you just described that were in place to enforce censorship? Do you know how they? got reformed, removed, retired over time? Actually, you know, when
0: we thought about the lifting of martial law, we, we would have thought it seemed like everybody was freed at that time, at that day when the martial law was lifted up. But actually, that's not the case. So, um, I previously mentioned that, that we are, people at the time were under two tracks of restrictions. So one is martial law. Martial law was lifted in nineteen eighty seven, right? And uh, but um don't you encounter the very long English translation period of mobilization. We're still there. And so and, and another thing is um after the government lifted martial law, they imposed another law called a uh, national security law. Mm-hmm. So the national security law still restrict the freedom of speech. And it took a lot of efforts of advocates, um, activists to gradually break up the barriers and the restrictions to gain more freedom. So the, uh, the period of mobilization law was lifted in 1991 by President Li Denhui at that time. Mm. Um, and the, the bans on uh, newspaper was lifted in 1988.
1: So you mentioned that there were newspaper bans that were lifted in 1988. And so as you mentioned this data, I have a follow-up question and comment because I think it's interesting to note that uh, a year later in 1989, Zheng Nanjang but we also know him as yeah. Nai Long, the publisher perfect. of the Freedom Era Weekly, who was a very strong advocate for freedom of speech, actually barricaded himself in his office and set himself on fire in protest against the restriction of media freedom. They wanted to arrest him, but he said, they will never get me alive. And that's what happened. Could you elaborate a little bit more on these yeah. circumstances? And more specifically, since there was a ban in 1988, how could something like this happen a year later? And what was the ban in 88 about?
0: As we have talked before, although the um, newspaper ban had lifted in 1988, January, um, that doesn't mean that just things become really good. Actually, what has been relaxed it was you can print more pages of newspapers, and now they open up for people who want to establish new newspapers. But in terms of content, there are still a lot of restrictions. There was still population law. There was still um, criminal code, Article 100 and to prevent people from advocating things like Taiwan independence, or you definitely could not criticize uh, presidents or high-ranking officials. So uh, Mr. Chen Nanrong, he was a believer of freedom of speech, and he advocated for 100% freedom of speech. So in 1997, it's in December, he wrote an article which was named, um, uh, 改用道叉吃人肉, which means that in the past, the authority was, was just to use, um, their bare hands to eat flesh, human flesh. But now they use, um, forks and knives to eat human flesh. And which means that freedom of speech are still under control. And the authority just used another form to restrict this kind of freedom of speech. And so he advocated 100% freedom of speech, which means that the content should be free from government's restriction. And if the government wants to suspend or ban a publication, the government needs to get orders or, or warrants uh, from the court, he, the government cannot just say, I'm going to bend your newspaper and I just ban. You cannot do that. And so he had founded Freedom Era Weekly since 1984. And his magazine actually touched on a lot of sensitive topics such as the health conditions of President Zhang Jingguo, or, um, the power struggles inside the intelligence bureaus or if Jiang Jingguo was going to hand it over the power to his son. And of course, the government would not want to see the topics like that. So in 1988, the Freedom Era Weekly published an article, which is, uh, which was about, um, the constitution of the Republic of Taiwan. And the author was Mr. Kose Kai, um, uh, Sh- Shi Kai. And this article got the attention from the government, and the government suspend, uh, banned this article. And uh, Mr. Chen Nguyen was charged with insurrection in 1989. But Mr. Chen thought this is a uh, humiliation to him. Um, he refused uh, to hand over himself to the police. So the police said um, they wanted uh, to arrest uh, so in 1989, April 7, uh, the police, which was headed by Hou Youyi, um, Hou Youyi was in charge at that time. So they came outside of the office. And Chen uh, as you mentioned, he barricaded himself and refused to surrender himself to the police. And when the police decided to barge in, he to set fire um, and immolate himself um, in the office. And uh, his sacrifice actually had a very deep impact to Taiwan's freedom of speech because his death had made more people being aware of um, the condition of freedom of speech than in Taiwan. And made people think about the meaning of freedom of speech and um, inspired more people to um, try to fight for
1: freedom. And it's of interesting that you mentioned that the police officer that headed the group that was going to barge into the office is Hoyo Yi, yeah. who is actually now the KMT right. candidate for Taiwan's mm. presidential election coming up in 2024, January 13th. So it's kind of. Interesting and timely yes. that we're talking about this less than a month away from the presidential election in Taiwan. So, and Jingzong,
0: we talked about Taiwan Garrison Command was mm-hmm. abolished in 1992. But I want to talk about one instant instance, which was very important, which led to the abolishment of very... Very horrendous laws like Betrayal's Punishment Act or the uh, Criminal Code 100 that I, um, I mentioned before. So as I said, the martial law was lifted in 1987, right? But at that time, the KMT government was still very sensitive about the claim of Taiwan independence. So you cannot, you could not, um, Advocate for Taiwanese <laughs> independence at that time. So in 1991, there was an incident called, um, Du Tai, Du Hui Du right? And so this is what happened in 1991. Um, the government arrested some activists and, or, and, and some students, and they are, uh, like the priest Lin Yingfu and uh, um, Chen Zhenran, Chen
1: Zhenran then became
0: the founder of the Taiwan's first uh, web portal
1: company. The web portal company that Wei Ping is referring to was called Yams,
0: and also a uh, Qingda student from Qinghua Liao Weichen, and uh, another activist um, Wang Xiaohui, and this person. Why they were arrested? It was just because they have read um, the book by Shemin. I know you are, you're, you're really familiar with Shemin's <laughs> yes. book and his library. Yes. Um, um, so they, they, they just read Shemin's book and some of them visited Shimin and some of them would just want to initiate a book club to talk more about. Right. The, 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 the
1: Taiwan's 400, Taiwan's 400 years of history. Yeah
0: and just a discussion they they just
1: a discussion group and they were arrested and now for a short break talking taiwan is getting ready to take the show on the road back to taiwan in january to cover taiwan's presidential election and to interview some special guests while we're there We're calling it the Talking Taiwan Election Tour. We plan to work with seasoned political commentator Courtney Donovan-Smith in Taichung. Courtney is a Taiwan News columnist, and you may have seen him appear on Taiwan Plus News discussing developments in Taiwan's upcoming presidential election. Talking Taiwan is the longest-running Taiwan-related podcast and currently the only independently produced Taiwanese-American English-language podcast in the world that covers political news related to Taiwan. To produce the Talking Taiwan election tour, we're going to have to do some fundraising. And you can help us get this show on the road by making a contribution to our GoFundMe campaign or at TalkingTaiwan.com forward slash support any contributions right now will be doubled because we have a matching donor pledge for the first $5,000 we raise which will be doubled to $10,000. We thank you for your support. You make what we do possible. Now, back to the episode.
0: The the the, the police even just came into entering into the campus of Tsinghua University and arrest the student. So, um The book club, the discussion group that they want to initiate called the Taiwan Independence Association, right? But Taiwan independence was still a taboo at the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's just ridiculous because martial law had been lifted. So this arrestment triggered a lot of anger among the society. There are large scale protests and it, it, happened in May, 1991. Mm-hmm. And because of this protest, so the government have sensed the discontent among people. So they mm-hmm. just repealed the Petray Punishment Act in, in May, because this, this person, this, uh, Ten, this, Chen Zhenan, Yinfu, um, An Zhengguang, or Wang Minghui, they, uh, Wang Xiuhui, they were, they were charged with criminal code, Article 100, and also the, Betrayers Punishment Act. And so the government sensed the people's discontent and so repealed the Betray, Betrayal Publishing Act in 1991 in May. So they acted very quickly and they had uh, the government and also the society, civil society had also started to discuss about the, uh, the amendment of Criminal Code 100.
1: Right. So had that not been repealed, then the people involved with this discussion group would have been, they could have been subject to capital punishment. Yeah. yeah. Is that correct right. That? Yeah. So it's, 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 terrible. And going back to what you were saying about the criminal code 100?
0: Yeah. Code 100 was amended. And before, before it was amended, as I said, if you advocate for Taiwan independence or to change the organization of the state, and even if you are just uh, having other thoughts, or even you're just uh, talking about the thoughts with your friends, you will be charged. There's quite a lot of chance that you will be charged with the Criminal Code 100. So after the amendment of the law in 1992, the law said you have really used violence <laughs> to do that kind of things. Yeah, so <laughs> it's they 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 have some changes, but uh, Code One Hundred is still there.
1: It's still it's still in existence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, it's still. So there. they only changed to if there's some kind of violent active. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah but I think for the past decades, things have changed, and. Also a lot of things have been changed because of the constitutional court decision um for example the advocacy for internal independence um in 1998 is 1998. 10 years after the lifting of martial law um the constitutional court made the decision uh saying that it's no more crime. It's totally okay if you had a for Taiwan independence or even communism. It's mm, okay. you are freedom of expression.
1: Mm. I'm curious to know what do you think. Like, how do you think this history has affected the evolution of Taiwan's media environment? Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's a big question,
0: I know. <laughs> it's, it's a good question. It's really good question because it has a lot of impact for sure. We have been through a lot, um, for the past decades. And do we strive for the freedom? Not, not, not we. I, I'm the one who benefits for the freedom. I, and I really appreciate, um, those who sacrifice their lives, their freedom to win the freedom for us. It's a long road. But the thing is that the censorship and it's the, the trauma still persist. I think it passed it to generations. So you could still um, hear the older generation tell you that don't talk about politics even today. Yeah, um, just to stay away from politics. I mean, for my, my kids, I, I won't talk this to them, right? I would encourage them to participate in any civil society movement. But for the older generation, it still passes this kind of thoughts to us. Um, but for us, for us, this generation, I mean, the 30s and then 40s would think that we just break the barriers and we are so afraid of the censorship it will come again. Uh so we want the totally freedom. But the thing is um it's totally freedom? I mean it's is it good that you are free to defend others. I mean there are still some some lines between censorship and the freedom, right? There is still some things that you can do you cannot hurt people, especially at the time of the social media age. So I think freedom of speech and the censorship are topics that, that need a more nuanced discussions. So um, I think we have come to a time that we need to talk about what we can restrict or what we cannot, how to protect our freedom, but also protect others. But the thing is that the past trauma kind of prevent us or kind of interfere with interfere with the discussion that many people in Taiwan are are really worried about touch on this topic, even though it needs more discussion. So when there are discussion about if we are going to impose some restrictions on disinformation or hate speech, uh, there might be people thinking, no, 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 no. We can we cannot uh, impose any restrictions because this is kind of the the, the ghost of the censorship will come back. We don't want any restrictions, and and you know make what makes things worse is that we are at the social media age. There are so many uh, correct information, incorrect information floating on the social media. We kind of miss the chance to calmly discuss this kind of topic. So I think this is a trauma that persists today, that we're affected by the past censorship.
1: Yeah, it's much more complicated um, now that we have the internet and social media age. uh, A lot of lines are crossed. Right. Can you make some comments about what Taiwan's current media environment is? Yeah, so um, we're totally free very free right now.
0: I remember that like, several years ago when I talked with my professor at law school and he, he understands Taiwan very much and I asked him how do you think about Taiwan's media? Do you think a Taiwan's media environment is free? He said well maybe too free. <laughs> I was shocked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Is there such a thing?
0: Yeah because what he said is that there's, there should be more um, Taiwan's media should be more ethical I mean, there are sometimes Taiwan's media just step out of the line of what they should do. For example, they just uh, spread some, um, unauthentic news without a verification mm. and or infringe others' privacy, violate others' privacy. Mm. So, but what I have to say is Taiwan's media is totally free and, um, the internet of, um, the, Situation now is totally free, and there was just a, a new index published by Freedom House, which Taiwan mm-hmm. ranks the number one uh, in terms of internet of freedom in their Freedom on the Net index. Mm-hmm. Taiwan is number one in Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, in 2022, the World of Freedom Press Index by Reporters ranked Taiwan as the 38th United United States was 42. (laughs) So, yeah, so Taiwan's uh, media actually uh, environment is really, is pretty free, but it's also very competitive. And the competitive kind of lead to the not so, not so good news products. Um, and also, Another challenge faced by Taiwan's current media environment is self-censorship. You know, the censorship now is not from the government, because government, um, you know, it's democratic government, right? They know what they need to do or not to do anything to interfere with the media. But um, the media, they want to make money. And now the environment is pretty competitive. So what could they do? Some of them expand their business to China, right? Okay? And China, like five years ago or 10 years ago, which is a very huge market, so everybody wants to go to China to make money. And so, as we know, um, like China Times, like Wang Long Group, right? Um, mm-hmm. The owner of Wang Long Group has a very big uh, um, corporation there, large Scale business, large market has good relation with the Chinese government, and he now owns the China Times and also Zhongtian, also Zhongshi TV stations, and he, um, he you know, it, it it was famous. Every I mean, everybody. New list that he asked his newsroom, his news staff, um, to play down the topics about, uh, Xinjiang or Tibet, Tiananmen, Taiwan independence. Don't say that. Three T's. Yeah. <laughs> and if anyone, um, uh, try to defy his orders, this one, this brave person will be demoted or just, he just have to choose to leave the, the group. Mm-hmm. And it is, this kind of situation didn't only happen to one Wang Wang group. But even those who 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 look more anti-China or 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 more um how to say that not so against the China, <laughs> okay. um like Sun Li, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, ten years ago, they also had a plan to have business in China, mm-hmm. and uh, um, they, have, they, they also produced a lot of entertainment programs. And they want to, they wanted to sell the entertainment programs to to China. And they also have a news channel. So um, at that time, they also played down the street TV, And also they suspended a talk show that time hosted by, you know, host Zheng Hongyi. Um, the Gengho yes, I'm familiar with him. Yeah. But yeah, please explain. Yeah, Jin yeah, he um he was uh, more famous about his political stance. He was not so fond of China and so Sandy in order to sell their other, you know, dramas to China, so they suspended Jen Yi's show. And so that they tried to appease Chinese government's yeah. anger. That's true. Yeah. But now, uh, his, now, I think after 2015, Sandy has changed his policy, his policy now. So, uh, Jin program has, has already been revived. So, um, mm-hmm. although maybe in another name. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so these are the examples, um, of the challenges that are now faced by, um, Taiwanese media. And, uh, but I have to say something for Taiwanese journalists. Because of the competition now, Taiwanese journalists were asked to do more, to do more jobs. And their performance is evaluated by click rates of the articles online, not by their scoop or something.
1: Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, under
0: this kind of circumstances, they have to create more News pieces with more eye-catching headlines. So, um, so it's why right now that the Taiwanese news products are not of very good quality because they don't have time. Um, the journalists don't have time don't, to to produce something which is good, and they don't have time to verify things.
1: Well, it's about the attention and the revenue, so getting more clicks, as you said, or getting more revenue. or That's what's driving the content, not the accuracy or the ethics right. behind right. it. Right.
0: So it's a shame because we have um, made so much effort to have our freedom and to say things that I want to say and to make our society
1: better. But when we have the freedom, we are limited by commercial interests. So what are your thoughts on this? I'm just thinking, like, what can be done about this? Do you think there needs to be some professional journalism ethics association or something like that? I, I don't know if there's anything like that in Taiwan.
0: Yeah, um, I think the fundamental problem, the fundamental issue is that the media don't have much sor- resources. And there have already some good organizations, news organization, independent news organizations trying to provide readers with more quality journalism. They are like Al Doujo, the reporter, and they have invested a lot in investigative um journalism. And uh, there are also some independent journalists. So they, they work um, by themselves and uh, trying to uh, dig out things that have been overlooked by mainstream media. I think we, we need to give them more support. And I know there are people who really want to do good
1: journalism,
0: provide people good news, but maybe they are not well-known by the public, I think we can help them to be known and to subscribe to their, their publications and to give them more resources, more support. And also, I think the disinformation is an, is quite a serious problem in Taiwan right now, especially the elections coming. The disinformation is also related to low quality of Taiwanese journalism. Because as I mentioned before, Taiwanese journalists don't have a lot of time to verify information and that they, trying to make their articles more sensational so that they can attract eyeballs, but this information may not be true. So this is kind of a weakness of a Taiwanese journalism, and it would be a weakness that can be exploited by the Chinese government or the Chinese propaganda because they can just implant something. Okay, now this is a kind of a route of communication, of a propaganda and the disinformation. So the Chinese propaganda department or entity or individual, they would implement something maybe in an overseas website. And some online website would cover this um, disinformation. And then this disinformation could maybe flow into um, PTT, Taiwan's bulletin uh, Board System, which is very popular, and uh, Taiwanese media, they, they like to find new sources from online, you know, B- BBS or online small websites mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. amplify this kind of disinformation without any amplification. Um, and this is how disinformation flow into Taiwan. And one of the most famous example is uh, Guanxi Kansai Airport incident in which our diplomat um, was quite a good diplomat uh, committed a suicide because of the disinformation um at that time. yeah, so this is quite concerning.
1: Could you talk a little bit more about that situation?
0: The Kansai airport incident mm-hmm. Yes, okay, so at that time it's a two thousand eighteen, I think. There was a typhoon, a hurricane hitting Japan, and some of Taiwanese tourists were stranded in the Kansai Airport. And then there was news saying that, well, if these tourists, Taiwanese tourists, uh, if they say that they they were they were Chinese, they could be picked up by chinese embassy oh. and um there the news also said that um this Taiwanese tourists, they ask for help from, you know, Taiwanese embassy, but the Taiwanese embassy just ignore them. But see how, how good these Chinese embassies were, um, even mm-hmm. though, you know, the Chinese as they have to say that we are, we're Chinese. Mm-hmm. So this, this was not true. Actually, this, this was not true. The Chinese embassy didn't send the bus into the airport. Um, but this this information first appeared at um, Weibo, and then was picked up by a Chinese website called Guancha Zhe Wang, which was related to Chinese government. And uh, then the the Guancha Zhe Wang article and the information was. Um, transmitted to PTT, uh, the BBS, the Bulletin Board System, um, popular in Taiwan, and then picked up by Taiwanese media like um, Zhongtian, Sanli, Dongsun, and which created a chaos that people blamed the Taiwanese
1: embassy saying, why don't you do something? And, you know, but So, I'm sorry, le- I just want to make sure I understand correctly. Okay. So, they were saying that maybe the Chinese embassy could help, but they didn't. But the fact is that the Chinese embassy didn't even try to help, like didn't even send a bus there? The key, key point is Chinese embassy
0: didn't really send a bus into the airport. They may be, right. yeah, they, the, 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 these tourists, Chinese tourists... Could be transported to other place outside of the airport and mm-hmm. then be arranged by Chinese embassy. But the disinformation saying that the Chinese embassy sent a bus directly into the airport to, to pick up, to help this tourist. But that was not true. Yeah.
1: There was no bus. No bus there.
0: Yeah.
1: Is there anything else you wanted to say because mm-hmm. I interrupted? Yeah. yeah. um... I think talking about
0: censorship. Yeah. I, I think we have been into another new age, which we have, we have kind of broken the restrictions imposed by traditional censorship. But now we're facing another kind of challenge. This kind of challenge, this kind of censorship might be imposed by ourselves to worry about we might do something. Um, or it, it could be by trolls, right? The trolls online, which I- undated you with a lot of information or disinformation or harassment, which prevent people from saying things. So there, there's always challenges
1: when you think about censorship. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah still a lot to fight for, to fight against. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for sharing all this, and we look forward to having you back on because before this interview, we were talking about how you're also working on the Taiwan Factory Center, and we'd like to have you back on to talk specifically how this disinformation and factual inaccuracy is affecting the upcoming election in Taiwan. Sure, sure. The presidential election, yeah. I would love to, Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Dr. Wei Ping Li about how Taiwan's media environment has changed over time from its martial law era to present. <music> So what are you waiting for? To support the Talking Taiwan election tour, visit TalkingTaiwan.com forward slash support or share this episode with a friend. Now it's time for you to show us some love. Rate us on Spotify or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There we'll list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by forumosa.com.